You're listening to Bookmark. I'm Uma Paganampake Pagan. Every month, the good folks over at Lit Books in Tropicana Avenue lend us their gorgeous bookshop for an evening of literary indulgence. What usually happens is this. I invite a bunch of well-spoken and erudite individuals, and we speak in front of a live audience about a specific literary theme. Recently, I sat down with both Edin Koo and Bernice Chorley for a conversation on sexy reads. Here's how that evening went. Good evening, folks. Thank you so much for coming out on a Tuesday evening. As always, with Lit Books, we figure these things are nice weekday excursions. You guys have plenty to do on the weekends, so we thought we'd fill your weekdays with some wine and merriment and literature, and it should be fun. I know, it is very bourgeois, isn't it? <laughs> what do you expect from us? Um, so today's theme is sexiest book so what is the sexiest book you've ever read and in coming up with this theme it occurred to me that maybe this was a bad idea because I think in talking about this I'm going to give away more about what I find sexy than possibly is required and it might come across as being very odd or weird but yeah I think we want to talk about that as in what makes literature sexy what kind of things turn you on not necessarily in a sexual way but also in an intellectual way and I think the most important thing I mean we we're all here because we I guess at the core of it, believe that reading is sexy, right? We, we can buy that now, that words are sexy, we understand that. I mean, try explaining that to teenage Uma, who couldn't talk to girls, that's a different story. But, you know, now it's a different thing altogether. So reading is sexy, we know that. But what do we read that actually triggers a sensation in us, that makes us feel happy or excited or turned on? And I think that's what we're going to talk about right now. My guests today need no introduction, so... On my left is Edin Koo. On my further left is Bernice Chorley. I'll say this now and get it over with. It's really exciting. I never get over being on a panel with these people because, and not to make them sound old, but I would go to university and I would read stuff that they'd written and now I get to speak alongside them. So that's always still a moment of excitement for me. So thank you so much, guys, for joining me on this panel. Thank you. Old people. Um, thanks. <laughs> All right. So before we get into our selections, oh, so what we've done is we've kind of selected things that we find sexy. We've got two or three selections. Bernice has got excerpts that she wants to read. So does Edin. So do I. And I think they, they span the gamut, right? So but before we get into that, I thought I'd ask the both of you, what is it that you find particularly sexy about a piece of literature? What gets you going? Is there any one specific thing or does it change from moment to moment? Well, okay, um, when you're talking about sort of sexy reads, um, I suppose I'd like to talk about the things that I was not allowed to read when I was a, when I was a child and when I was a teenager. God knows those are sexy. Yes, things that were hidden and things that were sort of, you know, books that were sort of not in the bookshelf. So I used to sneak into my parents' bedroom um, and, and look at the bedside table. And of course, there were sort of, you know, Valentine's cards from my father to my mother and vice versa and lots of love letters. But there were two books in particular. This is one, The Perfumed Garden, um, the most daring book ever written on the Arabian art of making love, um, and D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatley's Lover. So that was actually the first kind of dirty book I read when I was 12. And it's a pretty dirty book. It is really dirty. Um, and, uh, and so next to that was, was this one. And I would just keep going back and forth and, and you know, reading pages again and again and again. But that was, that was what, what Sexy Reads was for me. And of course, when I was um, older, it was um, um, The Great Anais Nin, 
Marguerite Dura, um, um, a very funny Chinese book called The Carnal Prayer Mat. I'm not sure you've heard of that. <laughs> um, and um, I, was, I was thinking about this as well. Do you remember the Sunday Times? There used to be like a whole strip of cartoons. Right. Do you remember Brenda Starr? Yes, of course. Oh, she was really, really luscious and sexy and yeah. just, you know, had a very nice bosom. Um, so I remember sort of waiting on Sundays to, to read that as well as a child. So I'm just, I'm just talking about, you know, sort of um, um, growing up vignettes from, from childhood in Ipoh and, and sort of, you know, stealing into my parents' bedside table. Very nice. Edin. And you found Brenda Starr sexy, not her husband. <laughs> interesting, very interesting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I was, uh, um, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up in, a, in, a, in a very large family of women, Indian women, you know, very, uh, very voluble. <laughs> and there is a, there is a photograph uh, that I have of me and my cousin. And I think I'm, I'm about a, a two, two years old. And she's just grabbing me by the head and kissing me on the lips. And I've got my eyes up uh, into the sky. And towards I'm, God. Towards God, towards the angels, and thinking, this is what life is going to be like. Very nice. So a sexy reading has always been, for me, very physical. Uh, descriptions of bodies uh, is very sexy to me. Uh, the forbidden. Uh, I was also raised in quite a liberal family. It was the 70s, you know, remember Desmond Morris, The Naked Ape, and everybody was experimenting. We heard stories of families who used to shower together and things like that. Um, we were not that liberal, but uh, we heard these stories. And uh, um, I think the first uh, kind of instance of uh, me getting a sense of anything sexy or attractive, strangely, was Jane Eyre. Yeah, very uh -huh. weird, very weird. Okay, okay. Um, uh, and then uh, I, I kind of matured. Uh, I, re I, I reached puberty at a very young age, very nine, <laughs> very young. <laughs> it's also when I had my first cigarette, and I've never stopped. Uh, but um, I, I think my father had a sense uh, that I was heading this way, and, um, uh, and uh, one of the things that he did, you know, we could never talk one-on-one -on -one about... about um, bodies and things. Uh, and so he used to neatly arrange these books. The Perfume Garden was one of them. The Kama Sutra was another. And uh, the Tao Art of Love was another. So I, I started out uh, discovering uh, that side of things in a very sophisticated way. So he put them in an area that was easily accessible very for easily a nine-year-old. Very accessible for a nine-year-old. Because nice. I used to plow his, his library all the time. And then I kind of matured. Yeah. And of course, the first really dirty thing I read was Playboy. <laughs> we we, we got to talk about... Come on. Now, when, you know, you, boy, boys school, ways. you get it all the time. But I got then... Uh, a, I was a little troubled because there was an article... Because you were reading joke, the articles. The, well, standard yeah. joke of... I read Playboy for the articles. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it was a... A Playboy edition with Angie Dickinson. Do you remember Angie Dickinson? Yes. Police woman? Of course. Yeah. Okay, so Angie Dickinson spread and whatever not. But I was really drawn to an article on John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> the interview with John Lennon, which I read over and over again. Uh, so it's always been quite erratic. You know, right. What, what, what eventually becomes sexy, even within something sexy. Later we'll talk about some even more raunchy stuff. 
maybe. But uh, that's my introduction anyway. It's, it's interesting that you say Jane Eyre because I find the gothic novels very, very sexual because it's what's unsaid. Correct. I mean, it's Wuthering Heights is a great oh example God, yes. of that. There is nothing said in that book mm-hmm. at all. And yet Heathcliff is the sexiest yes. man alive. Yes, absolutely. Right? And, and didn't, didn't Charlotte even... Didn't Charlotte Bronte criticize Emily for not even knowing what sex is if it hit her over the head or something like something that. I mean, like that, yeah. yeah. I mean, so but Jane Austen she... is not sexy. Huh? Jane Austen really not sexy. <laughs> so any of you finding those things, you're in serious trouble. In kind of way. But you know, you, you kids have it easy. We grew up at a time when, you know, there was no internet so you didn't have access to Playboy. You, it was a real chore to get your hands on a, and a copy and it was an even more difficult chore hiding it in an Indian household. There's no adventure, right? Um, so you mentioned a nice nin. I mean, there are, the, the, there are the standard books out there that many people consider sexy. Um, D.H. Lawrence, of course, a nice nin. Um, um, Henry Miller, who was famously her lover as well, yes, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, Tropic of Cancer. And a nice nin's Delta of Venus essentially is a series of stories that covers every possible taboo without actually going into the raunch at all. As in the language she uses is absolutely stunning. And it's a really great piece of literature for that reason, for that reason alone, right? Meanwhile, meanwhile, Miller, on the other hand, is the exact opposite, right? Because he, oh, he writes poetry and profanity like you wouldn't believe. It's on every sentence. So if you read Tropic of Cancer, it is also a great piece of literature for a completely different reason. But it's very male. It's very male. It it's very hard. And it's just, it's, there's, there's no... There's no, there no, there's no softness. No, no pun intended. <laughs> With Ayanes Nin, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of nuance. And of course, because, you know, she was a French writer. And the books were commissioned by a very wealthy man. That's right. Yes, that's how they came to be. I think for me as well, I guess what I find sexy kind of changes depending on the mood you're in, right? I mean, it depends. Sometimes it could be pieces of incredibly romantic literature. Sometimes it could be... <laughs> Straight up erotica, but well-written erotica. God knows that's incredibly hard to find. And sometimes it can be, it can be moments in a comic book. I mean, this is, this is the funny thing. I was reading through a lot of these books trying to find moments that were sexy. And I'm going to geek out for just a second because you'll understand what I mean. But in the latest series of Batman comic books, Batman is engaged in to be married to Catwoman, right? They finally consummate this cat and mouse game, if you will, this long-time love. And there's an entire issue in which they have there is this ballet across the rooftops. They're chasing each other. And that's what they've always been doing in the 60 to 70 years of comic book history featuring Batman. Batman and Catwoman have always been chasing each other. It's a game. She wants him to chase her. And at the end of this comic, he catches her. And it's this beautifully illustrated ballet across the rooftops before he finally catches her and says, marry me, cat. And it's this, it's this amazingly beautiful moment especially given the 60 years of history that lies behind it and yes so i told you i find weird things sexy i, th- I think it's issue 27 if you want to go look it up i, I want to get into some specifics um edin do you have a book that you not not your first encounter with sexy literature but a book that you return to as being this in your mind not epitome of sexiness but something you love i kind of uh uh regressed in, 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 in this thing of sexiness. Uh, because we, you know, we, we, we're very uh, uncomfortable talking about another thing that is very much about a teenage boy's life. Mm-hmm. Pornography. 
Uh, now, I came across, so I was all this Kama Sutra stuff and whatever not, uh, which was, of course, very poetic, very beautiful. Uh, but I came across a book uh, that was a, a, a confessional, you know, the story of O. Do you remember? Yes. The story of O. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And I keep falling back on that book. I, I, and I like it very much. I mean, in situations, things really quite incredible. At the same time, uh, there was a, a, an actress called Linda Lovelace. Yes, Remember of course. Her? Yeah, Linda Lovelace did Deep Throat. Uh, and she wrote a confessional memoir. Sorry, I said memoir. that with a little too much enthusiasm. But yes, <laughs> Linda Lovelace. I believe I've heard of her. <laughs> and uh, uh, a British um, uh, X-rated actor. Her name was Fiona Richmond. Uh, now, Linda Lovelace's book was quite a letdown. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't very revealing. But this woman, Fiona Richmond, wrote a book called On the Road. And I discovered all my vocabulary, you know, that I've since <laughs> used whenever uh, I get, you know, very angry. I use a lot of this vocabulary uh, from her book. And I've been trying to find a first edition copy or something right. through the internet. Uh, but it was very interesting how, how the language contrasted. The, 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 so, in a sense, you know, I matured before I regressed, uh, rather than regressed before I matured. Uh, but, but, but these were books that I, I, I returned to on a daily basis at that age, very frequently, if you know what I mean. Because everything is so visual these days. Yes. Yeah? And so you don't get that kind of, as you said, erotica being written. It doesn't sell at all. And there is something um, incredibly sexy about the confessional. Yeah. Because you feel so much like a voyeur. Yes. The idea of the confessional and the situations and, of course, the language. Uh, because it's your first entry into the language that you are really not... Remember that, you know, if you ever say that word again, I'll rub chili on your mouth. Do you remember that? That was my mum, okay? If you ever say bloody, or my favourite word was bastard, you know? Um, I'll rub chili on your mouth. So all of a sudden, you discovered that you had another world of vocabulary and euphemisms... Uh, that you, you, you could uh, kind of use. And uh, um, I used it a lot. I love profanity. Uh, I, I think it's one of the most expressive things uh, you could um, conjure. Uh, but then later, uh, what I began to discover was uh, that so much of what was sexually liberating uh, was actually very late in coming. Because as I began to... No uh, pun intended. Sorry. Yeah, very late in coming. <laughs> This guy, Please carry on. I think, come on. We are so much older, right? <laughs> yeah. We are so much older. Uh, I began to, to, to read in classical literature, for example. Also, I, 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 was, I was very, um, to put it very crudely, very, very drawn into this idea of uh, Eastern versus Western hmm. uh, sexuality, sensuality, eroticism, uh, reading the Kama Sutra again as an anthropological text. The Perfume Garden was amazing. Uh, Arab, Arab poets of a particular generation, Bhakti poets in the Tamil language, which I, you know, they were writing in 8th century BC. Mm -hmm. uh, reading philosophy, deep classical philosophical texts, uh, and um, discovering uh, how philosophers dealt with sexuality. Everything from love between man and woman, uh, love between man and man, mm -hmm. uh, the aspect of love uh, as knowledge, uh, the platonic idea of, of friendship uh, and the erotical di erotic dimensions of, of, of friendship. Uh, and so I found that you know, the classical world and the early world seemed to be incredibly liberated. 
it's something that has constantly been affirmed as I study oral literature, as I look into ritual cultures, and I look into uh, you know, the, the idea of sexuality as um, uh, beauty, uh, as impulse, as expression, as innate, uh, which is to be distinguished. And it provides a kind of very cosmopolitan and very worldly sexuality, which is not solely confined to the sex act. Uh, and today we, 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 we talk so much about sexuality and confine it very much to the sexual act. Uh, and so much of this kind of literature is really about the nature of being. Bernice? I'm not sure if there's a particular book I keep going back to, but the, the story of O was something that I read also um, as a sort of late teenager. And that's an incredible book because it's... it's uh, the point in the reality is a nom de plume. Yeah? I do, yeah. We don't know who the, who the writer is. Um, but... And I, you know, I, I must admit, and, and I will, um, you know, be unashamed about this, but I, I was plowing through Mills and Boons and Harlequin romances like I was on crack. Oh, they're great. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was just, you know, you could read like two in a day, you know, on a weekend if you have nothing to do. You just, basically, you just, and of course, you know, you learn the formula by page 180, this has to happen, you know. Oh, absolutely. You've got to hit formula. those yeah, marks, abs- right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, it was just fun and easy and, and a great way to sort of, you know, while by um, a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. Um, poetry, of course, is, is incredibly central. The great, um, you know, Persian poets, um, you know, Gibran, Rumi, um, Omar Khayyam. Um, even the Bible, for God's sake. <laughs> well, there's a lot of sex in the Bible. There's a lot of sex in the Bible. Not necessarily, you know, stuff that, that will turn you on, um, turn you off, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I, never really, I never really understood porn because we had no access to it. You know, I grew up in a very strict Catholic household. Um, I think I first read Playboy when I was maybe 19 or 20. I had a Canadian boyfriend. But it was the articles in Playboy that were fantastic. You know, the, 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 and the fiction and the short stories, which were fantastic. All the best writers in America wrote for Playboy. That's right. Um, so I guess when it, when it comes to understanding the art of love and the art of making love and the art of seduction, you know, there's nothing that beats this, really. Um, I prefer this to the Kama Sutra for some reason. I'm not sure really? why. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was reading this book called Tampa. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a, it's a recent novel by Alyssa Nutting. Um, and it got me thinking about how sexy can taboo be. Now, the story in this book is about Celeste Price, who's a 26 or 27-year-old school teacher, and she's a pedophile. And essentially, she has started her job in a new school, and she practices great premeditation in stalking 14-year-old boys, because that's what she likes. And the entire book is her plotting, picking the right boy, not, not someone too confident, not someone who will make a move on her because that's someone who can't keep a secret. Someone who's quiet and yet quietly confident. I mean, there is this whole process in the book. Um, she's married to a policeman. And it's an interesting book because if you read the passages out of context, they are incredibly sexy. And then if you throw in the idea that she's talking about a teenager or a 14-year-old boy, suddenly it becomes disgusting. And there is no real retribution at the end of the book either, in the sense that, you know, she's, she gets charged in court for a crime, but 
she's still at large and she still starts preying on people at a different state in the United States. I'm right? just wondering about the language. I mean, how is it written? Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, the, the language, she writes from a first-person perspective. So she's, you're in her head. So a bit like Lolita lah. A little bit like Lolita. Actually, I have the book and I'll, I'll read an excerpt for you a little later. But it, it, it's just, it's interesting because it's taking the subject of taboo and it's not applying any kind of moral consideration upon it. So you're in her head, right? And she's telling you her story. And so therefore, she's not judging herself as a bad person because that's what she likes and that's what she does. So for her, this is sexual. This is great. She knows these relationships aren't going to last any more than two years because then they're going to grow up to be men and she's really turned off by that. Uh, one of the things that's very interesting about a book like that is, is whether these books eventually will become endangered uh, because we really do live in a kind of nanny moral culture these days circumscribed by political correctness, which if you ask me is really a new form of colonialism uh, because it comes so much from white guilt. Mm? Uh, and uh, there are things like, uh, things like Lolita um, with those incomparable lines. Lolita, Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins. Absolutely beautiful. You look at Thomas Mann, the death in Venice, um, and uh, you, you wonder uh, uh, the issue of, 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 of morality now, you know, whether we make what is art allowed and what is art not allowed anymore. There's an aspect of sexuality in, in many very sexual books, of course, that is also very tragic. Even someone as kind of straight in your face as Bukowski, Charles Bukowski, is, is there's something just extremely sad about the sexuality. Yes, because Lolita is an incredibly tragic book. I mean, when you think about it, yet again, it's the same thing. There is, on the surface, a sexuality to it. But as soon as you read it a little more, you realize what an immense tragedy the whole story is, right? And even the language used. So I'll just give you a little sampling of Tampa, right? This is from the first paragraph. Um, I spent the night before my first day of teaching in an excited loop of hushed masturbation on my side of the mattress, never falling asleep. To bed, I'd worn in secret a silk chemise and sheer panties, beneath my robe, of course, so that my husband, Ford, wouldn't pillage me. He always wants to ruin the landscape. I find it hilarious that people think Ford and I are the perfect couple based solely on our looks. During his best man speech at our wedding reception, Ford's brother said, you two are like the his and hers winners of the genetic lottery. His voice slurring with noticeable envy, he then added that our faces looked photoshopped. Rather than concluding with any sort of toast, he simply laid the microphone back down on the table after this last line and returned to his seat. His date had a lazy eye we all politely pretended not to notice. I should find Ford relentlessly attractive. Everyone else does. He's too good looking. One of my sorority sisters groaned the night after our first double date back in college. I can't even look at him without feeling like I'm being punched between my legs. My real problem with Ford is actually his age. Ford, like the husbands of most women who marry for money, is far too old. Since I'm 26 myself, it's true that he and I are close peers, but 31 is roughly 17 years past my window of sexual interest. And it goes on like that oh my goodness. for 277 pages. But it's a really fascinating read. Bernice, yes. taboo yes. as sexy literature. Is there anything unacceptable? I mean, that would be unacceptable to find sexy. Why? Why? Because it addresses pedophilia. I think if you approach that, if you give that book to most people, they will be like, ew, how could you find this sexy? 
But literature has always been about, you know, the sacred and the profane. You know, I mean, if you read, you read Marquis du Sade, my God, it's, it's shocking. But it's literature. You read Fifty Great Shades of Grey, that is crap. That is not literature. No. <laughs> so there is a difference it's between... Twilight fan fiction is what it is. Um, but, you know, it's... Look, we, human beings are going to write about everything because we're human beings. You know, we write poetry, we read poetry because we're human. Um, and... And the, I think with literature or with the novel, you can be as democratic as you want. This is what Paul Oster said. You can explore the whole specter of humanity. You know, you, you can go as, 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 as deep, as dark as you want. Um, but I guess it's how it's written. And I think something like this, there are people like that. It's getting into the head of a person who thinks like that. I'm thinking now of Andre Asimov, who wrote Call Me By Your Name. Um, have you guys seen the film? It's a beautiful film. It was nominated for an Oscar. Bernice has only seen it 17 times. Yes, yes. Um, exquisite. But I, I also read the book. Yes. And it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous book. But I think it's, it's, it, it's literature. It has to be literature. It has to be elevated to that sense where you use language. It's sensorial. It, it gets into the human heart. You explore the, the possibilities of, of, of humanity, of, of, of darkness. And, and darkness has always been part of literature. And I think this is written by someone who is willing to explore that kind of darkness. And that is necessary. It is possible. It has to be possible. One of the problems we have is that we are starting to social, sociologize everything. Okay? So every issue becomes academic. Uh, you write about sexuality these days, a whole page in The Guardian. Uh, um, you know, this is an anecdote. So I'm asked to write an article on Islamic revivalism in Indonesia after Ahok is removed as governor of, of Jakarta. And I said, wonderful, you know, incredible. This, in 800 words. So I said, <laughs> well, basically, you know, <laughs> 800 words, not never going to happen. And I, I opened the Guardian uh, on the day that the 800-word article supposed, that never came is supposed to. And there's a whole page on some 86-year-old woman writing about how she's given herself an orgasm at the age of 84, given herself an orgasm. Now, uh, this rubbish permeates British newspapers every day. You know, large, you know, entire broadsheet of this garbage, you know. And, and it's not even sexy writing. It's just really boring, perfunctory, biological stuff. Uh, and there's no room for... Indonesian troubles, uh, but there's all this room for this Indonesian rubbish. troubles aren't sexy, man. <laughs> On the contrary, they're incredibly sexy, okay, compared to this frigid stuff. I mean, honestly, uh, and I just keep, you know, keep telling the editors, yeah, you guys always been banned at sex, never going to change. You know, it's, you keep writing it 30, 40 years, who asked you not to listen to the H. Lawrence? This is the problem. Um, but uh, that's, how, that's the problem, I think. Um, yeah. Talking about Lawrence, I mean, he's one of the great figures in my life. And reading Sons and Lovers and uh, <clears throat> really uh, gleaning everything Lawrence writes is sexual. Uh, and uh, Lady Chatterley is just, I think, the worst of his sexual writings. Uh, but Sons and Lovers, you know, and, and that thing that I'm very attached to since I have a mother fixation. But, you know, very much so. So when I write my memoirs, it's going to be very interesting. And my mother can't be around. But, um, you know, where do we draw the line? Uh, do we approach? And we approach so many questions of sexuality these days in this kind of social, sociological format. You know, its effect on society. Well, where's the art? Where's the literature? Where's the humanness? Uh, and this is a major thing that... So, you know, a book like that 
and this idea of taboo. I thought we'd gotten over the idea of taboo like 60 years ago, you know, when uh, we finally decided to unban Ulysses. We did, and then Twitter happened. We are creating a mob mentality these days uh, with, 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 uh, uh, as, as far as sexuality is concerned. But what are you hoping to take away as a reader of these sorts of works, of things that you find sexy? I think sex has always been very political. Um, the sex act itself is, is very political. How you write about sex is, is political more and more these days. What you say, what you don't say, how you say it, who says it. Um, the, the, and, but, you know, because I am a writer, language for me is very, very important. It's how we use language. It's how you elevate the sexual experience, how you elevate the teasing. And it's oftentimes, you know, with, with someone like Raymond Carver, you know, who's a master, who's a master at, at minimalism, it's what's not said. And but that's exactly what it is. And I, I don't mean to use the word pornography in a derogatory fashion, mm. but I guess the idea of using the good words makes something sexy as opposed to having something blunt at which you probably would call it pornography. Yes, but it's also trying to find new ways, like trying to find a new metaphor. You know, it, it's, it's easy to write about sex the same way. Because it's really, you know, it's, it's, you're doing the same thing again and again and again. Tab but how, A into slot yes, B, right? But yeah. how do writers write about it and, and make it exciting? And, you know, now, you know, with, with artificial intelligence, with, with, with sex robots and stuff like that, how would you write about that? How would a sex robot have a voice? How would, how would, how would a, a cyborg, for example, because I'm, I'm doing a lot of research with uh, artificial intelligence right now. One of my characters um, in the next book is, is a cyborg. And... How do, I, how do I write about this? Honestly, this is, this is the challenge. We are living in the age of the Anthropocene. You know, Donna Haraway writes about um, ethics when it comes to, to artificial intelligence. Um, you know, the, the tree, for example, should have a voice. The rock should have a voice. The sex robot should have a voice. And I think all sex is, because we are alive, we are, we're constantly penetrating something or we are being penetrated by something else, metaphorically speaking. So sex is everywhere. It's, it's how a writer lens aligned, how robust it is, how elegant it is, how graceful it is. Sometimes reading a good passage is a turn-on. It's a real turn-on. Absolutely. Just a great selection of words in a specific order. That's yeah. all it takes. Yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't me, have to be about sex. Yeah, so for me, really, it's, it's still also about language. And it's, you know, living in Malaysia, you, there's so many taboos here in Asia still that we are struggling, in, struggling with. Um, and unfortunately, as a woman, and you, when you write about sex, they judge you first. Like, oh my God, she's a woman. She's writing about sex. Her character has a lot of sex. Hmm, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yes and no, la. You know, yes and no. We have a lot of taboos, yet we don't. Uh, uh, you know, this country has been dragged through everything from sodomy to, you know, nyonya, uh, prostitution videos and politicians' underwears and all these kinds of things. We've seen, we've seen it all, what, right? We, which is always uh, intriguing to me. Eh? Uh, politicians are all very rich. Why did they buy such cheap underwears? <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the big questions I always want to ask. These huge pasamalam things, you know, that... What? I mean, it's, uh, honestly, just a digression. Um, um, but uh, yes, I mean, uh, uh, reading a, a, a really good line is a turn on. Writing, writing a really good line is an even better turn on. I think Bernice is going to read something for us from this book. You have an uh, excerpt for us? Yes, sure. Chapter two, concerning women who deserve to be praised. 
Know, O vizier, and the mercy of God be with you, that there are women of all sorts, and there are such, and there are such as are worthy of praise, and such as deserve nothing but contempt. In order that a woman may be relished by men, she must have a perfect waist and must be plump and lusty. Her hair will be black, her forehead wide. She will have eyebrows of Ethiopian blackness, large black eyes, and the whites in them very limpid. With cheek of a perfect oval, she will have an elegant nose and a graceful mouth, lips and tongue vermilion. Her breath will be of pleasant odor, her throat long, her neck strong, her bust and her belly large. Her breasts must be full and firm, her belly in good proportion, and her navel well developed and marked. She must have the thighs and buttocks hard, the hips large and full, a waist of fine shape, hands and feet of striking elegance, plump arms and well-developed shoulders. <laughs> That's very specific. Yes. Indeed. Wow. Indeed. Uh, Edin, do you have anything for us? Uh, yeah, actually... Um, I, I have an experiment. Um, the Kama Sutra has got so many editions now. You right. could actually buy one. I have it. I have a copy of it. I should have brought it, but I can't find it. Uh, you can actually find the Join the Dots Kama Sutra. You are kidding. No, no, I'm serious. You Join the Dots Kama Sutra. Uh, uh, you can get it. I think, um, hey, brother, you should... Uh, yeah, yeah. Join the Dots Kama Sutra. Uh, and Kama Sutra has gone through so many versions. I don't understand why the perfume garden has never been been uh, done again but i have a couple of recommendations there's a beautiful book called the interior landscape uh which is a collection of early tamil poets 8 to uh, 8 to 10 bc uh, uh compiled by the great poet ak ramanujan mm -hmm. uh, and the bhakti poets were very erotic poets uh who did this kind of pantone exchanges uh, um among themselves uh including men and, and at least one or two women and uh, the whole sequence of poem goes, uh, what he says, what she says, what he says, what she says. And it builds up into a real kind of uh, uh, erotic tension. Uh, there are other amazing, uh, incredible books. I think the Pillow Book of Se Shongun is amazing. The Dream of the Red Chamber. Uh, anything old in that, in that sense. You know, the Diary of Lady Murasaki, also very, very erotic and, and, and beautiful. Uh, go and dig up some pantons. I've got one here, actually. This is a panton that uh, I found from a, a very old book that was a, a um, compile, compilation of pantons uh, in 1935 by a guy called A.H. Hill. Because, you know, we've censored our pantons. So if you go to Devan Bahasa and buy their collection of pantons, some boring as you could ever find. <laughs> All about your morality and how to be good and whatever not. But uh, these are the wonderful ones, and, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm trying to compile as many of them as I can. Tin di gunong, hilang di tumpal, boleh dipandang dari gunong jematu. Pinggangnya ramping, badannya tebal, pandai juga membuat laku. Yeah. Oh, Brilliant, I like right? that. Brilliant, right? Yeah. <laughs> very, very playful. And there's a whole sequence of them. And what you can do is you can, you know, you can dig out these poems and put them in and arrange them in an entire sequence and they become almost so al jawab you know answer answer and uh, uh, um, uh. so uh, uh, these are things that i uh, really encourage you i mean you know you get the lolitas that everybody knows but these are uh, such delightful delectable secrets um, uh, and to go back to the old and let's there's so much more you know ovid the roman poets 
absolutely incredible. The Greek poets were absolutely incredible. Uh, people like John Donne, you know, I mean, so John Donne was just uh, uh, beautiful. People like Robert Graves, uh, also incredible. Uh, Auden, of course, uh, so much. Uh, so there's so much there. All of my recommendations that I have for you today are kind of based around language as well. They are beautifully crafted books. Some of them may have love stories associated with them, but for the most part, it's the prose that I find incredibly sexy. There is a book called Hopscotch by Julio Cortazar, oh. which is an incredible book. And for more reasons than just the prose, I mean, the book is written in a fashion where at the beginning of the book, he tells you that you can start reading it and you can read it from chapter one to this chapter and you can stop. Or you can follow a pattern. At the end of every chapter, there is a number. You jump to that chapter and continue reading it in that pattern. Or you can read it in any way you wish, right? And he is, I mean, he, he doesn't obviously write in English. It's translated. And if the translation is this magnificent, then I can only imagine what the original, I think it was Spanish or Portuguese, right? Which was Spanish. Argentinian. I can only we haven't imagine. even talked about the Latin American The Latin American writers. writers. I mean, you know, Neruda yeah, and all of this yeah. stuff. I mean, it goes without saying. But I've got a little excerpt from uh, Cortezar, and it's just a short one. And he's talking. I've got an obsession with umbrellas. Don't ask me. I like umbrellas. <laughs> and there's this wonderful thing he captures um, about his lover, right? And he's reminiscing. There was a cloudburst that afternoon, and you tried to open your umbrella in the park in a proud sort of way, but your hand got all wrapped up in a catastrophe of cold lightning shafts and black clouds, strips of torn clothing falling from the ruins of unfrocked spokes, and we both laughed like madmen as we got soaked, thinking that an umbrella found in a public square ought to die a noble death in a park and not get involved in the mean cycle of trash can or gutter. And it's just a magnificent piece of writing about something so absolutely mundane, and yet it invokes such a powerful imagery of two people caught in the rain in a park, right? There's James Salter, who's a master of erotica, A Spot and a Pastime, which is an incredible story about a man on holiday in Europe and gets caught up in this rip-roaring affair, and it kind of makes you question what it means, what love and lust is, right, and what's the difference. There's a great little book called The History of Love by Nicole Krauss. And that's got some magnificently romantic passages which are incredibly sexy as well. Nothing sexual about them, but just the way they were put together. Uh, Once upon a time, there was a boy who lived in a house across the field from a girl who no longer exists. They made up a thousand games. She was the queen and he was the king. In the autumn light, her hair shone like a crown. They collected the world in small handfuls. When the sky grew dark, they parted with leaves in their hair. Once upon a time, there was a boy who loved a girl and her laughter was a question he wanted to spend his whole life answering. And it's... It's poetry. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. And Patti Smith, just oh, yes. kids, yes. right? Um, oh, God, yes. Uh, I mean, her love for Robert oh, Mapplethorpe. Yeah, and there's some beautiful scenes, you know. And, oh, my goodness. It is oh. so picturesque, right? I mean, they're talking about New York. She's wonderful. Um, they're talking about New York at a certain era, and it invokes a real sense of time and place. And this bit is both heartbreaking and beautiful. There were days, rainy gray days, when the streets of Brooklyn were worthy of a photograph. Every window, the lens of a Leica, the view grainy and immobile, 
We gathered our color pencils and sheets of paper and drew like wild feral children into the night until, exhausted, we fell into bed. We lay in each other's arms, still awkward but happy, exchanging breathless kisses into sleep. The boy I had met was shy and inarticulate. He liked to be led, to be taken by the hand and enter wholeheartedly another world. He was masculine and protective, even as he was feminine and submissive. Meticulous in his dress and demeanor, he was also capable of frightening disorder within his work. His own words were solitary and dangerous, anticipating freedom, ecstasy, and release. Sometimes I would awaken and find him working in the dim light of votive candles, adding touches to a drawing, turning the work this way and that. He would examine it from every angle. Pensive, preoccupied, he'd look up and see me watching him and he'd smile. That smile broke through anything else he was feeling or experiencing, even later when he was dying in mortal pain. I find myself feeling very sexual when I write especially when I write for very, very long periods of time, um, I, I somehow have to take a, take a break, go for a walk, go for a run, because writing is, for me, very sexual, um, especially when I'm writing things that are completely unsexual. So details, you know, sort of active bits, narrative bits, the, the sort of boring bits. Um, but I think that's, that's, that's what I said earlier, you know, it's, it's this constant process of being penetrated or penetrating something else. Um, writing for me is very sexual, and that's when I know it's good. That's when I know it's good. I, I've been very troubled with Tolstoy, so I've got to respond <laughs> that as well. <laughs> I tell you why Tolstoy is so unsexy. It's because he was sexy in his personal life previously. And so his books are redemptive, and he tries to elevate any kind of rawness, any kind of raw sexuality into a kind of pristine, prurient love that is completely unsexy. Wherever you come across this kind of puritanism, um, and, and it could work both ways. And sometimes it's about this pure love thing. Other times it could be trying to describe sexuality too. Uh, every time you come across that, it is very... Uh, it fails. It's very unsexy. All right. Well, well, thank you very much, folks, for uh, joining us this evening. This is, after all, a bookshop, so we encourage you to buy some sexy books. Uh, there is also wine and coffee, which you can purchase. Also, there is uh, books like Swami Akustat, if you absolutely want to go in that direction, which I hear is quite sexy. So you can go check those out as well. We, uh, we do not discriminate in any way, except maybe for the Garden of Evening Mists. But <laughs> thank you very much, folks. That was a recording from our monthly Bookmark Live event over at Lit Books in Tropicana Avenue. Tell me what your favorite sexy reads are. You can tweet me on at Umar Pagan or on at BFM Radio. Don't forget, we've got another live event coming up on the 23rd of August where our theme will be surrounding science fiction and fantasy. So be sure to come along. I promise it'll be a lot of fun. You've been listening to Bookmark. This is BFM 89.9.